in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 64 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I am here with Andy Baggerly. Uh, 64 is the Derek Law edition. Uh, and I guess Sean Anderson too. But Derek Law had a little bit longer tenure, so we're going to call this the Derek Law edition. Uh, he was the best reliever on the 2016 Giants in a lot of ways, and that still couldn't save him. You uh, you can't see me right now, but I am waving a rally towel that I stole from a fan, and uh, I'm waving it <laughs> for Derek Law. And, and you know, neat story that his dad was twice called up to the big leagues but never appeared. I guess yeah. that, that's not neat. That's just crushing to be, you know, what what is uh, what did Burt Lancaster say in Field of Dreams? I have, it's so close, you could brush it against your face, and, and then it doesn't happen. Um, but then he got to sort of uh, experience all that joy through his son. And, and Derek uh, was in Toronto, I believe, uh, last year. And Pittsburgh guy, big Steelers fan. Um, and a guy who who you could tell just enjoyed being a big league player. And uh, so, you know, sort of, sort of sad and maybe a little surprising that he wasn't able to kind of continue his success because he was just so dominant in the minors and then so good yeah. when he first came to the big leagues. And then obviously ran into some stuff, maybe dealing with some physical stuff. So, you know what though? Uh, I, I have fond Derek Law memories, and uh, and he's a good guy. Uh, just don't don't mama don't let your babies grow up to be pitchers. Pitching's just cruel. <laughs> it's just cruel, and I, I think that's what happened to him. The the arm got him, and I don't know. All right, but we're not here to talk about Derek Law. See, we we always tease people. We say this is the Derek Law edition. It's just sort of like an honorarium. Um, but we're here to talk about the state of the Giants. And recently, The Athletic posted a San Francisco Giants fan survey, and we thought it'd be a good idea to sort of go through and and start answering these things ourselves. It was actually your idea. Yeah, why not? And if if you uh, haven't logged on um, to take the survey, uh, it's only 25 questions. You can motor through it pretty fast. Um, And uh, the more people we get to participate... Uh, the, the better the results will be, obviously. And um, uh, and and I think it's going to be really fascinating to comb through this when we're done and, and just see, you know, what some of these fan attitudes are and, and how, how the sort of gradient of fan perspectives kind of fans out and when people became fans and, and what their perspectives are. And, uh, because it's Giants fandom is not nearly as sort of maybe monolithic as it might have been uh, I don't know, uh, before the three World Series titles or even before then. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of excited to see how, how this turns out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's see. Uh, first question, what are the last four digits of your social security? Second, what's your mother's <laughs> maiden name? Third, what's the street you grew up on? I mean, this is all this is all pretty standard stuff. No, it, <laughs> but yeah, I, one of the things in my writing, you know, I'm writing, I'm in the middle of a, a very lengthy ranking of Giants home runs. And some of the home runs are before my time. So, you know, it's Willie Mays. It's uh, Grand Slam in 1962. It's it's all the stuff that I kind of have to dig for the context for. And then there's the stuff that's that's in my wheelhouse. It's uh, Jeffrey Leonard. It is Will Clark. It is 
uh, you know, Barry Bonds. And it feels like it's important to me to set my context. So like it's if you're a fan who started in 2010, 2012, 2014, that's great. Let me under let me tell you why Joe Morgan's home run is 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 so important. Let me tell you about Bob Brenly's home run. Like that sort of stuff. And so I it feels like now we're at a time where we have to realize that the people who were bandwagoners, quote unquote, like they're real fans, and it doesn't matter how you started. If you started in 2010, you've experienced some pain, you've experienced some ups, some downs, and you're just as invested as anyone who started in 1958. I mean, it's it's real. It's it doesn't take very long to go from bandwagoner to I live and die by this. You you could be 12 years old, and Barry Bonds has never hit a home run in your lifetime. You've never seen one live. Ooh. I mean, for, for that 12-year-old, it's like me and Willie Mays. Oh, yeah. if, if only I could have gotten to see Willie Mays play live, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's why we need conduits and people to tell us who, who did. And, uh, yeah, like like uh, when I wrote that little intro to the to the um, fan poll, you know, I, I remember the, the guy coming to one of my book signings in 2011, uh, and he had his newborn little daughter who was born uh, maybe a few weeks earlier. And he said, you know, the Giants have never won a World Series in her lifetime. And uh, I thought, well, that's kind of funny. You know, he can sort of hang on to this sort of angst and unrequited uh, passion that uh, that he had rooting for the Giants all those years through her. They Now they have to win one for her. And then, of course, they won two years later, and then they won two years after that. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just uh, we all come along at different times. You mentioned the, the Brenly home run or the Joe Morgan home run, even like the Brian Johnson home run. I wonder yeah. if there's a lot of Giants fans who don't know about the Brian Johnson home run. So, um, yeah, this, this should be, you know, interesting. And, 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 and even going back, like you said, I thought that was really good, uh, the point you made about being transparent about, hey, look, this is where I came up. These are the ones that matter to me. This is the history that I'm steeped in. Um, and, and we miss things that that happened before our time. Like, uh, I love the fact that that someone alerted you that you got the Bobby Bonds Grand Slam uh, for his first major league hit, but there was another Bobby Bonds Grand Slam that you didn't get. And yeah. uh, who, who? I'm curious, who told you about that? <laughs> oh, a little birdie told you, didn't didn't they? It was uh, Chris Haft. It was good oh. friend, of, friend of the program, Chris Haft. Friend he, of the program, yes. He wrote uh, a very nice, very uh, long email about home runs that you know he wanted to draw my attention toward. Uh, one, I, I have ranked a lot higher than than perhaps people might expect it, uh, and some I just whiffed on, and some were some uh, were homers that were personal to him. And it was it was a really fascinating email, and I, I started digging through these things. And the more I dug into Bobby Bonds hitting a grand slam to beat the Dodgers when the Giants were down seven to one, I'm like, oh yeah, that that would have been important back then. That was right there when that you didn't have the crushing NUI of the '70s bearing down on you. You still had the memories of the '60s, and you thought it was just gonna keep going the whole time. And then uh, it was a, it was a really powerful home run. But yeah, that's that, that's the stuff that I missed. I missed. I don't have a lot of Bobby Bonds knowledge. I just really don't. And and what I like about it though is you your reaction wasn't oh man you know I I, I missed this but it was more like hey there's so much awesome in these fifty home runs and there's still more and guess what <laughs> I can go back and write another one about that too so um, yeah that that's that's really cool and I look forward to reading even more about Giants home runs. Now, and, you know, when it's all done, I think we'll come on and, and talk about, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering when the right time for a podcast episode is uh, on that, but I think it's when it's all done in 2024. 
Um, <laughs> all right, but let's let's go through this athletic, the athletics San Francisco Giants fan survey. Uh, let's see. Question one: When did you become a Giants fan? Oh, that's where there's only one option here. It's 1989. When did you become a Giants fan? <laughs> There's... I am disconnecting you. <laughs> All right. Well, we obviously can't answer that. Well, you can't because you didn't grow up a Giants fan. Uh, there's uh, since the New York days before 1958, there's the early San Francisco era, 58 to 72, the Jack Clark, Chili Davis era, which was mid 70s to mid 80s, the Will Clark, Roger Craig era, 86 to 92, the Barry Bonds pre-championship era, the championship era, and the post-champion era. And, I, you know, I was the Jack Clark, Chili Davis era, which is really sad to admit, but uh, my, <laughs> my, the first Giants memory, one of the first Giants memories I have was the Joe Morgan home run because I did, I was there, but I didn't actually watch it. I remember being in the grandstand, or not the grandstand, was it the, the tunnel in the upper deck at Candlestick? I probably had to go to the bathroom or wanted a hot dog or something. And we were passing by one of those stairwells and the crowd just blew up. And my dad grabbed me and carried me up to the stairs to see what had happened. Um, so that's like one of my very first Giants memories. It really, really is. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, I didn't get to see it, but uh, oh, well, oh, that's OK. Um, but yeah, go ahead. And uh, so I can't put when I became a Giants fan, but I can put when I became when I started following the Giants, which would have been 2004. So uh, that would be the Barry Bonds pre-championship era in 1993 to 2009. I I don't know why we didn't call this the AJ Pruszynski era, but anyway, <laughs> 2004. Um, that that was my first year on the Giants, and a cool cool uh, quick story was. Um, when I talked to Joe Morgan for my uh, 30th anniversary of ESPN Sunday Night Baseball piece, um, had just a really nice conversation with him. And uh, and I told him, you know, we were sort of into casual conversation mode at the end. And I said, you know, one of my earliest memories is playing wiffle ball in the backyard with my dad and my dad imitating Joe Morgan's batting stance, you know, flapping his elbow. And uh, I'm like, who's that? And, 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 and my dad told me all about Joe Morgan. And so I got to tell Joe Morgan that story. And, and, and his reaction was, oh, come on now. <laughs> so that was, that was great because I, I, could, I could even sort of feel him smiling on the other end of the, of the phone. And then I got to tell my dad that story too, that, hey, I told Joe Morgan that you used to imitate his batting stance. So it was just smiles all around. It was, it was, that was a really fun thing to, to, to be able to do. So uh, yeah, Joe, Joe Morgan definitely before my time uh, as, as someone who, who followed the Giants, but, um, but uh, a pretty cool memory. That's awesome. And since you brought up 2004 on MLB Network right now. They're replaying the Dodgers-Giants game from September 2004. Uh, I think we're about an hour away from Steve Finley coming up uh, against Wayne Franklin. What will happen? I don't know. Maybe it'll be different uh, this time. Oh, I, yeah. I go back to Matt Hurgis versus Jason Worth, and Jason Worth put up a tremendous at-bat, and Hurgis was the one guy who had a fresh arm in that pen, and he was dealing, um, and, and Worth just battled him. It could have been a different outcome. Mm. Uh, I don't think Jason Worth will ever get the credit that, that he – probably deserves because he turned out to be a pretty darn good player right um uh, and and there he was early in his career and um yeah that was the, i thought that was the at bat that kind of changed that whole inning good memories good memories okay so now we'll move on to, to number two and that's on a scale of one to ten with one being the least and ten being the most how confident are you about the current giants team and i took this to mean in 2020 or i don't know a theoretical 2020 season uh, just like the current actual roster, how confident are you that they can contend? Um, uh, okay, so if the question is about just them like having a winning season, yeah. I would probably go with the two. I don't yeah. think they're going to be 
a 500 team. I think they're probably going to be pretty far below a 500 team. Um, I think they're going to win more games than they did last season. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I think they're going to be a better team than they were last season and not win as many games. And they won 77 last year. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go two. Uh, I will go a three insofar as uh, maybe you get one of these wacky seasons where Cueto is uh, uh, dealing back to his old self. You've got a, a kind of minor league surprise like Elliot Ramos coming up and, and being this uh, a bolt of energy. You know, you could see where if, I don't know, 10 dominoes fall, then you've got something going. But uh, that's probably not going to happen. But that leads us to number three. On a scale of one to ten, how confident are you in the current giant in the current Giants baseball management led by Farhan Zaidi? Mm, you want to start this one? I think I will. I think I'm going to go. I think I'll go with an eight. I do believe that baseball has changed quite a bit, even in the last five years. Just just mind blowing changes. Uh, to not just analytics, but the biometrics and, and the, the the mechanics of baseball and what you're supposed to be doing. And I really do feel he was on the right side of the curve of that, and he was knee-deep in it, and that he's steeped in what it takes to, to help a team win now, to build an organization top to bottom now from the minors and, and all that, and... You know, it helps that he came from the Dodgers, and I, I do believe the Dodgers are the the real the organization everyone should be modeling themselves after. Uh, it, I thought it might have been the Astros um, at first, but it turns out it's actually the Dodgers. <laughs> oh, is is everything okay? Is, is there someone at the door? Um, this is a, this is a bit I'm never gonna let go. I think in five years <laughs> I'm gonna be banging my desk every time I mention the Astros. Nice. Um, I'm going to go a little, uh, I'm going to shade a little bit toward the center. I'll, I'll go with a six because overall I think that um, I, I would say objectively I'm, I'm confident that they're doing the right things. Um, I have to say that there's been no big decisions made that, that could lead me to believe that I could give them a higher rating at this time. I mean, all the moves make sense. The big trade that they made to take on the dead Zach Cozart money to get Will Wilson, nice move. If Will Wilson never amounts to anything in his career, which it's no sure thing, he looks like he might be sort of a Charlie Culberson type player, um, how, how much impact will that move really have? Um, I, I can't see anything that they've done to this point where I'm like, that's going to be a high impact move, or that's a trade that was really clever and really creative, I didn't see that coming, or somebody who could be a star. Um, they've done a lot of arbitrage, they've, they've, they've done a lot of sifting uh, you know, for, for nice parts. But even on Mike Yastrzemski, great story, had a really nice season. They got him as basically a free player, but he's at 29 years old. I mean, how much can you expect he's going to, you know, be an impact player on the next, uh, like a cornerstone piece of the next really good Giants team? I don't really see a lot of progress on those fronts. And you could say that, you know, okay, well, his hands were really tied. There, there's only so much that he can do in this interim period while he's got money tied up. But I guess um, I, I guess for me, it, I still grade him as a little incomplete because I don't see, you know, I see a lot of dancing in place and a lot of it's really clever, creative choreography, but I don't see a lot of advancement yet. So um, so I, I'll go with six because I'm more confident than I'm not confident. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to temper it somewhat. I think that's fair. I, th I think incomplete is probably the correct answer. But I, I look at something like the Will Wilson, Zach Kozar trade, and I, and I look at Mike Yastrzemski, and, and you sort of balance that with Connor Joe and Michael Reed and all the shots in the dark they've, they've taken. Uh, but I, I 
feels like they can sift through talent fairly well at this point. Uh, the Giants minor league resurgence last year was probably the best part of the whole organization. And while most of those players came through the, the previous regime, it just it spoke to well, they're at least not screwing them up. They're at least not coming in and saying, have you tried holding the other end of the bat? It's thicker. You know, like stuff like, <laughs> they're, they're doing they're doing something that makes sense. So I, I don't know. I, but incomplete is probably the correct grade. And you also have to look at this in terms of how confident are you in the current baseball management? I mean, we sort of, it's sort of implied that the goal is that they're a winning team. But the fact that there, I think, was a little bit of a disconnect with how the how the fans would react to Kevin Pillar being non-tendered, or, sure. which was the right baseball move. But they were honestly surprised by the outcry. Uh, the hiring of Gabe Kapler, is he going to be a fit or not? Uh, we still don't know. But it definitely was a move that was a little bit discordant with the culture of this fan base, I think, a little bit for what they were expecting. Um, starting with Connor Joe and Michael Reed in the, in the outfield corners on opening day, you can't do that. You just can't do that. So I think that there's been, you know, are you are you confident that he's going to uh, basically lead them into a good place where they can contend and, and be sustainable contenders? That's one question. The other question is, how confident are you that he's the right person to lead baseball operations for this franchise with this sort of fan base and this culture? He's had some missteps there, too. So um, I guess I, I would bake all that in. That is a good point. All right, let's go. Number four, on a scale of one to ten, how confident are you in the current Giants ownership group led by Greg Johnson, Rob Dean, and Larry Bear? Mm, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I would say that I'm more confident in Giants ownership right now. I would go with a seven because it seems like the Giants make the right choices. They do the right things unless, you know, they're funding, you know, Mississippi senators uh, <laughs> uh, and, and certain certain. Uh, um, yeah. Anyway, maybe we should leave that alone. But, um, you know, I, I, I feel like I feel like the Giants do the responsible thing. They do the right thing. They're 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 they've diversified their investments into other things like Mission Rock. Um, obviously, Larry Bear had his uh, issue last year. Uh, which people have wildly different opinions on whether they thought it was, you know, a completely uh, awful thing and, and, and he should have just been drummed out or or if, if it was overblown. I mean, I'm not going to invalidate anyone's opinion on that. But um, I, I think overall that there's a lot of stability in ownership now and um, uh, and they're obviously capitalized. And, and uh, I, I think the Giants have been a pretty good – this ownership group has been a pretty good steward for, for the franchise overall. I'm going to go with a five, and here's why. It, that's the highest grade I will ever give any ownership group is a five. Mm. Uh, these mm -hmm. people are not your friend. Uh, they are always going to be looking out for their business interests, and a lot of times they're going to align with the fan interest, with you know our interests as writers. Uh, but they're make no mistake, they're looking out for Giants ownership. And right now, it seems like it's it's a pretty good Venn diagram of their interests and the fans' interests. And they seem pretty well set up for the future. Uh, I and just doing all sorts of research for the last couple decades, I know that Giants ownership can get pretty pretty worse. You know, it can get a lot worse and get bad. It can get uh, well. I guess we got to move to Toronto bad. I guess we got to move to Tampa bad. Um, so it, they get my highest rating, which is a five. And I, I just, I don't think I can ever go higher than that for any ownership group. Yeah. You, you don't really root for the owners. You never yeah. really root for, for the owners. That's a good point. 
Um, all right, number five. I don't think we can answer this, really. We can dance around it. Do you agree with the hiring of Gabe Kapler as manager? Yes, no, not sure yet. I'm just going to go with the diplomatic. Are we grading this on PR? Because then, no, I don't agree with the hiring of him because it was a PR disaster. Do I agree with him when it comes to X's and O's? I don't know. You know, I just I, I, I saw what he did in Philadelphia. I think he, he did kind of learn a little bit as he went through. A lot of the criticism based on his strategy is based on what he did as a very young, very green manager. And I think towards the end of his Phillies tenure, he sort of settled in a little bit. But that's the only way I can answer it is I think it was a PR disaster, but I don't know how it'll actually play out in the field. So you're going with not sure yet? I'm going with not sure yet, yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably the only responsible answer you can give. I will say that it wasn't my place to agree or disagree that they hired him. I definitely understood a lot of the outcry and a lot of the reasons people were disappointed. I also understand that he's replacing Bruce Bochy. I mean, it's a tough position to be in. I do think he will be better for having had his experience in Philadelphia. I do think he will have learned from maybe some of his mistakes or missteps. I was impressed by sort of the culture he was starting to create in spring training, the level of buy-in, at least uh, um, superficially, he was able to get from the veteran players. Um, you know, I, I, I really feel like that it was, he was not coming in uh, with a clubhouse that was super, super suspicious of him. Um, there's a lot of veteran leadership that they were all saying the right things. And, you know, I, I tend to try to believe that people are telling the truth Well, being healthily, healthily skeptical, I guess, but people were saying the right things. And, um, you know, the coaching staff, it's, it's different. A lot of things are different with this talent on the roster. I don't know how much a lot of the things he was doing is going to make an impact in terms of the standings, but, um, you know, I think they're all interesting things to try. I like the open-mindedness. Um, so, you know, it's, I think that, uh, I'm not sure, but, um, there's reasons to be optimistic and reasons to be pessimistic, I guess. All right. Number six, I think we already sort of covered this, so I will just skip over it. It's on a scale of one to 10. How would you rate the talent level of the current roster compared to the rest of the league? I think we answered that pretty well early on. Um, so we'll move it because of time considerations. We'll move to number seven on a scale of one to 10. How much do you want the Giants to use advanced metrics when they make roster decisions? Mm, I think I'll yeah. go with an eight. I, w- I want them to be crunching numbers. I, I don't want them to be robots. I want them to think, you know, how when Kevin Pillar is coming up. I want them to think, boy, that the fans have really taken a shine into him. At the same time, he's his ceiling is very, very low and his floor is even lower. Um, you know, so we've got to make the right decision between those two those two contrasts. Uh, I, but I still want them to, to say, yeah, you know what? Boy, there's just not a lot we can wring out of him at this point. Yeah, I think Kevin Pillar is almost the way you answer this question is the way you view the, the Kevin Pillar decision. It, it really is. And, and the more I think about it, I had a light go off in my head, right-handed, a little sneaky power, um, you know, plus outfield defense, um, not so great with the on-base percentage, way more strikeouts than you'd like, strikeout-walk ratio, not great. Kevin Pillar is kind of Cody Ross. They're almost mm. this very similar players. And would you have given Cody Ross the kind of money that uh, that Kevin Pillar was going to get in arbitration? You know, a, a, a nice complimentary piece. I could totally see Kevin Pillar taking over a playoff series and, and hitting three homers, of quality pitchers and, and winning an NLCS MVP. But is he someone you want to give 600 plate appearances to uh, in the meat of a season? You know, objectively, analytically, no, uh, he, he's not. And and we can see the, the how the, the defensive metrics, I think, are illuminating in, in addition to what you see with your eyes. So 
I, I think the Giants did make the right call. At the same time, I still think it's an entertainment-based business, and you have to give – if you're not going to re-sign Kevin Pillar, then you're going to have to do other things to bring in entertaining players. And, and who knows? Whenever they can get on the field, maybe it will be an entertaining team to watch. Maybe Puig. they'll have Yasiel Puig. Puig. Um, Puig. <laughs> so so I'll, I'll just uh, summarize it by going right down the middle and say a five because I do think they have to – they are running an entertainment business, and not every decision, I think, has to be absolutely grounded in advanced metrics. But you know what? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll switch up. I'll go with six. All right, this one I feel like we could do a whole podcast on, if not a whole serial-style podcast series. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you evaluate the performance of the previous Giants baseball administration, Brian Sabian and Bobby Evans? And I, I do like that they're lumped together because I always felt like it was an extension of, of the regime. I, I didn't really feel like Bobby Evans was radically different. Yeah, I would agree. I think that, um, you know, and they were also – dealing with marching orders. That's one thing that uh, when I think of Brian Sabian and Bobby Evans, the reason that Brian survived as long as he did with the Giants is because he followed orders. He was a good soldier. And the orders were coming from Peter McGowan or from Larry Bear. And they were saying, you're going to have Barry Zito at $126 million. Okay. You're going to have have to build around Barry Bonds and trade Matt Williams. Okay. You're going to have to you know, punt a draft pick and use that money to sign a player. Oh, come on down, Michael Tucker. You know, it's uh, I, I I feel like Bobby was sort of an extension of that in, in that way. Um, and so a lot of the big big missteps I don't think are on either one of these guys. And frankly, they've got three rings on their fingers. So I'm gonna go with the, I'll go with the ten. Why not? Uh, um, maybe a nine or an eight is is I you know I should be the East German judge a little bit and and save save perfection for for something that's perfect. You know, that would be you know ten World Series titles. But yeah, I'll I'll just go with the ten. Why not? This is a really, really tricky question because like, I mean, how can you argue with three championships? How can you freaking argue with three championships and the moves that got them in there where it's uh, Marco Scudero, whether it's Javier Lopez? I mean, just the perfect, they are just yelling Kobe from half court, Kobe, and like draining it at the deadline. <laughs> and how do you, but it all goes back to me when you, when I think about these championships, I, you can't think about a World Series title like this was designed like a like a skyscraper with every brick intentionally there. Sometimes you had to get lucky, and it, that's not a slight. That's how every championship team works. And the Giants, if the two Florida teams aren't giving away corner outfielders, at the deadline or, you know, in the waiver wire, if they aren't just saying we can't use this really powerful corner outfielder, Pat Burrell or Cody Ross, do the Giants win? I don't think they do. And if they don't win in 2002, do they make a big signing trying to get back up there? Maybe they sign Jacoby Ellsbury. Do they win in 2012? I'm not so sure that they do. I think every World Series title is very specific to that chain of events. And I'm glad that the, the right architects were there for that chain of events. But I, I'm not going to give like 100% credit. I'm not going to say, uh, yes, you did this, all of this, it's all you, you're a genius. There's a lot of luck and sort of uh, good fortune in there. So I'm going to go with a seven uh, because I do feel like they were there was a disconnect. I, I think that uh, there was times where they didn't make the right move, where they made really weird head-scratching moves. And if Jose Guillen is not investigated by the F FBI, maybe the Giants don't have a, a title at all. Like maybe Jose Guillen goes 0 for 12 in that, that series against the Phillies and whoops, there it goes. Um, 
at the same time, I do think that they didn't get a lot of credit for being on the cusp and the cutting edge of sabermetrics. And that sounds weird. But back in the early days of sabermetrics, they were signing like Ray Sanchez and uh, Jose Vizcaino. And the stat hated it. What? Are you, oh, look at the on-base percentage. Are you kidding me? And you look back and like, no, defense was pretty important. They signed Mike Bethini. Yeah, defense was pretty important from a catcher. Pitch framing. They were ahead of all that. So it, it's a complicated soup and seven. Two, uh, two, two competing ideas here. One, luck is the residue of design. Two, sure. Nafi Perez. Nafi <laughs> Perez. I, I mean, we've already brought up 2004. What is Wayne Franklin doing on that roster? I have no what? idea. It's like, that's my son pulled. Uh, uh, Alvin Mormon, he couldn't pitch. He couldn't pitch. Uh, but Leo Estrella still made that deal worthwhile. <laughs> All right. On a scale of one to ten, how comfortable are you with the idea that there had to be a downswing after the three championships in five years? Uh, okay, well, we, I think we can run through this one quickly. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a three because I don't think you yeah. ever have to have a downswing. I mean, yeah. I, it's understandable you can't keep it going forever, but I mean, they didn't. Yeah, they they. It, it's it's hard to say. I mean, they tried to get McCutcheon and Longoria and tried to keep the top spinning. That was clearly you know not the right thing to do. So you could say, well, yeah, then you did have to. If you weren't going to make those kind of moves, then you have to be comfortable with the downswing. And they tried to avoid it. And maybe they could have avoided it if they if they drafted a, a little bit better um, in the previous couple of years. So yeah, I don't think that I don't think that a team ever with their resources ever has to have a downswing, and that's what they're building toward. They're building toward uh, being sustainable ever and being a contender every single year. Uh, that you never have to have a downswing. Right, and, and I think that that's exactly it. Uh, the last time the Yankees finished below five hundred, they used their draft pick to draft Derek Jeter. That's all you have to say for that. I mean, the last go. time they finished below 500, they used it to get the pick that they uh, did not take Calvin Murray. They took Derek Jeter. All right. Um, we're going to do a little bit of a lightning round because we're running out of time. Let's see. The Giants haven't had a winning season since 2016. Do you believe they must have a winning season in 2020 to prove they're headed in the right direction? Yes or no? That's a no. That's a no. Yeah, I think you got to write this one off and you got to just look toward the future. And that's another question. What current member of the Giants organization gives you most hope for the future? Is it Joey Bart? Is it Jalen Davis? Did Jalen Davis's mom write that? Okay. Is it Mauricio Dubon? Is it Sean <laughs> Jelly? Is it Elliot Ramos? Is it Marco Luciano? All right. So I have to admit a little bias here because when uh, uh, Jimmy Durkin presented me the draft uh, for this uh, quiz, Marco Luciano was not a choice. And I said, you know what? You might want to make Mar Marco Luciano a choice because that would be my choice. Uh, <laughs> this guy has the chance to be a Ronald Acuna type impact player. And the Giants haven't had one of those uh, kind of players. Uh, well, I mean, obviously they had Buster Posey, Tim Lincecum, but, um, you know, especially coming internationally where they, they haven't really had uh, that pipeline of talent. I think Marco Luciano could be a real franchise changer. So he's my answer. Uh, that's my answer, too. And it has to do with a lot of if he's good, that means the Giants are I mean, if he's good, if he's great, that means the Giants are doing something well when it comes to their pipeline, it comes to the foundation of the organization. If he is the star that his tools suggest he can be, that means the Giants are on the right track and they're going to do uh, something great with maybe, I don't know, Sean Roby, they're going to go uh, Luis Rebio. I mean, like they're going to be able to to form a lot of players and it's going to start with making the tools of Luciano uh, uh, into superstar and I think they can do that 
All right. Uh, let's see. Who is your favorite Giants player of all time? I don't think we can answer that. Uh, Mace, McCovey, Bonds, Lincecum, Bumgarner, <laughs> Posey, or other. Well, I did write that Tim Lincecum was my favorite player, so I guess I've, I'm I'm on record here. I mean, I'd look. Barry Bonds is responsible for more endorphins firing in my brain. At the same time, Lincecum is Lincecum. I, I'm going to decline to answer, but it's got to be between Bonds and Lincecum to me. Uh, you know, I did write about my five fi- favorite Giants players of all time, so it could be Joel Youngblood. Who knows? You know, there's still there is another slot. Me. You could put Wayne Franklin. <laughs> Why you? Uh, if a Dodger uh, fan took the survey. Oh my goodness! All right, if Zadie were to trade a veteran player in this calendar year, who should it be? Belt, Crawford, Cueto, Longoria, Posey, Samarja. Um, if he were to, who should it be? I mean, it all depends on, you know, could he, but if he could trade Longoria, I would, because he's got the longest commitment in terms of salary. Um, so that would, that would be my choice. And maybe if he has a good year and he's, you know, shows he's got something left, then, um, you know, maybe they don't have to have a team eat a hundred percent of it. But I will say, um, I think that he's finding that it's harder to move money in trades than maybe he had assumed. Uh, mm. the, 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 the game has changed even in the last yeah. three years so much. Um, teams are not giving up prospects. Uh, the, the deal they made with the Angels was very rare, and that was to get a guy who was a fringy first-round pick, and they took on $10 million. So that tells you, you know, where, where things stand. So I would say Longoria, but I think it's going to be hard for him to trade any of them, uh, to be yeah. honest. I would agree. And it's only going to get harder when teams don't have revenue for months. They're not going to be like, oh, yeah, sure, slap, you know, throw Longoria in the cart. We'll, we'll. Exactly. Uh, so I would go Brandon Belt just because it's time to set this poor child free and let him roam the smaller ballparks elsewhere. I, I really do believe that. I enjoy watching him play, but let the poor guy hit in a ballpark that suits him. Um, all right. Which statement best describes your feelings about Bumgarner leaving the Giants to sign with Arizona in free agency? I'm upset at Giants management for letting it happen. I understand why Giants management treated the situation it did. I'm glad Bumgarner got to go where he wanted. I don't understand why this could have couldn't have worked out with him and the Giants or other. Mm. I wonder what people will write in for other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so uh, many different yeah. comical ways you could go. What, what's your answer? Uh, I understand why the Giants treated it the way they did, but I'm also like, I, I'm also a little upset at Giants management for letting it happen. I think there was a need there and I made the argument for it that Bumgarner has a chance to help the next good Giants team. If you're projecting out the next five years of Bumgarner, uh, I could see him being the one of the better options for them in 2022 at his current salary with the Diamondbacks for the team that the Giants are building in 2022, a veteran guy who wouldn't be signed for a long time beyond that 2022 season, that he wouldn't get a 10-year deal. Um, they're going to have money freeing up once Cueto, Belt, Crawford at all sort of go away. I think he fit the Giants at the same time. I get it. Giving millions and millions to pitchers is never a good idea. I, th- I would go almost all of the above if there was a choice. Um, yeah. So I guess the, the one that I would most associate it with I don't understand why this couldn't have worked out with him and the Giants. I'm, although I do understand why it didn't work out. And sure. part of that is the the trade for Longoria. Part of that is deciding to extend both Belt and Crawford. Part of it is uh, putting yourself in a position where you're straddling the um, the the luxury tax. A big part of it is giving a quarter of a billion dollars in a three-week span to, to Jeff Samarja and Johnny Cueto in one offseason. They made their choices that backed them into this corner and they screwed themselves. And what they needed to prioritize was Madison Bumgarner, and they didn't. And so that's on them. They got to wear that. And uh, 
I'm glad he's he got to go to a place that he identified that he wanted to go to. I understand why current Giants management had to treat the situation the way it did. And I think that fans have a right to be upset at past Giants management for boxing themselves in so that they couldn't keep, you know, essentially a generational talent. All right. Uh, these two questions I'll just ask you real quick. Uh, how many Giants games do you usually attend every season? Is it uh, like between 31 and 81? And do you regularly go on Giants road trips, Andy? So they don't give you an option for more than 81. Um, so I, I cannot fill out a bubble here. It's none, 1 to 5, 6 to 15, 16 to 30, or 31 to 81. I'm normally in the 130 range, So uh, which obviously that won't be the number this year. So um, yeah, that's that's. Uh, but I'm an outlier. All right. On a 1 to 10 scale, how strongly do you believe the Giants can win a World Series in the next five years? Man, that's a, ooh, I don't Rough, know. Right? I mean. I mean, I, I just think the odds are against any team winning the World Series. How good have the Dodgers been over the last five years? And they, they don't they haven't won a World Series. Did you know, did you realize the Dodgers have not won a World Series since 1988? Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, wow. yeah wow, things that make weird. you think. Wow. So I, I'm going to go with a two just because I think that it's really, really hard to win the World Series. See, I'm going to take a different – I'm going to read it differently. And I'm going to – it's not how strongly do you believe the Giants will. It's how do you believe the Giants – or how strongly do you believe the Giants can. And that's going to be a 10. And that's going to be literally a 10 for the Orioles. Like I believe five years is is an eternity in baseball time. And if you can go from you know the 2006 Giants where every player was like 53 years old and broken to the 2010 Giants where you've got young, fresh players driving them towards the first championship of three, I think any team in five years can win a World Series. And when you have money and you, you seem to have smarts, you're, you're better positioned than most. So I'm going to say they can 10. Will they won? I mean, that's it's that's baseball. I don't know. And it says can not will. So credit to you for actually reading the question <laughs> as I it was worded. Yeah. Reading <laughs> comprehension points to you. All right. So. I'm just going to skip down, you know, because we are running way over. I'm just going to go to the statue question. The Giants have statues of Mays, McCovey, Marichal, Cepeda, Perry outside Oracle Park right now. The next statue they should put up should honor Will Clark, Bruce Bochy, Barry Bonds, Madison Baumgartner, Tim Lincecum, Buster Posey, or the 2010, 2012, 2014 teams in some general way. Wow. Um, I think if you were going to sort of put up a statue that uh, honors all of those teams, you could probably sum it up with Bruce Bochy, right? Um, The the correct answer for me, I think, is Barry Bonds. And I almost wish there was a way that we could have turned this into two questions um, because I think that Barry's going to probably win this one in a landslide. Um, I mean, I I would love to see a Linscom statue. I think that would be really cool. I think there has to be a, a Bruce Bochy statue. Um, I, I think that they'll probably wait until Madison Bumgarner's not pitching for a, a visiting team sure. <laughs> to sure. put up some sort of Bumgarner statue. Um, but I also kind of would look forward to what a Bumgarner statue would look like with that big old delivery and an arm going one way and a leg going the other way. Uh, I mean, it'd be cool. It'd be like the Mar- Marischal one, you know, it's uh, poetry in stillness. Um, but uh, I, I, I got to think it's Barry Bonds. I would agree. And and you have, let's see, Mace McCovey, Marshall, Cepeda, Perry, all Hall of Famers. And so, they, they, you know, they did this with the number retirement where you, you kind of got to make accommodations for Will Clark at some point, even though he's not a Hall of Famer. You can't just count on the Veterans Committee to get him in there. Uh, you know, Lenscombe's got no shot. Bumgarner, it's going to take a little bit. Posey might not even get there. Um, but Barry Bonds should be in there. 
Uh, I think Bruce Bochy will get his, and it will be after there's no chance that he goes to the Padres. Like you said with Bumgarner, I think there's still a chance he's going to come back and, and be in the opposing dugout, and then there's a statue outside, and that's weird as heck. Barry Bonds probably isn't going to come back to the Padres. I would be for it. I would be all for it just to watch him. Um, but yeah, I think Bonds is the right answer. And I would love to see what sh- people would do to that statue if they didn't like Bonds. And uh, the Bruce Bochy statue will be structurally reinforced because it's going to be really top heavy. Uh, so <laughs> it's going to require some some extra, extra structural engineering. Um, let's hope that the person who did the Brandy Chastain um, bash off plaque is not... Uh, is not brought in to consult. Um, but I am hoping that there is someone on here who ha- who does not know the Brandy Chastain plaque. And just Google it. Please, 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 for the love of goodness, <laughs> Google it. It is just amazing. And I don't want to besmirch someone who worked really hard on that, but holy crap. All right. This has been episode 64 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. This was the longest episode of the Bags and Brisby podcast. And thank you for your patience and thank you for listening. Uh, We will be back on Monday. And, you know, if you haven't subscribed to The Athletic, start your free 90-day trial at theathletic.com slash bagsandbrisby. That's a 90-day free trial, theathletic.com slash bagsandbrisby. Thanks so much.